Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you should lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, for your people gathered together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice that we can be right with you. Holy Spirit, would you bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Change us, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning is week two of Reconsider. I really love my job. I love being around town, bumping into people. I've got a a friend who occasionally drops in. He's of another faith tradition, but he kind of follows what's happening at Fondren. And when he sees me out in public at his establishment, he'll say, hey, preach. He He doesn't even say the other ER. Hey, preach. What you got, what's coming up this weekend? So it's been fun through the, you know, last several weeks or months. I'll tell him what, give him a little preview of what's coming up. I'll say, you know, we're in a series called Repeat After Me. We're walking word by word, line by line, verse by verse through the Lord's Prayer. We're in a series called Why Faith Matters. And we're looking at something called trending. Things are trending in the wrong direction. And they were back then. So we're looking at First Peter or or. A series called I Wish I'd Known That Sooner from Second Timothy, a mentoring relationship where an older person talks to a younger person about their regrets so that if you're young, you don't have to walk through some of that pain. We're looking at this. We're looking at that. So this week when he asked me, preacher, what you're preaching about, I tried to be artfully evasive, but I just told him adultery and lust. And he said, well, I'll see you next weekend. Hey, we're in this talk on a hill, this sermon on the mount where scripture tells us that Jesus, his popularity was surging. That would have been the time for him to really be a king, a political king, or to run for office. It was going up and he was uh, in the midst of that. But it says that he went up to a hill, he called his disciples and he sat down. That was the rabbinic um, tradition of the day. Wouldn't that be cool if I got to sit and you would have to stand during the sermon. We may try that one Sunday. That wouldn't go well. But that's what Jesus did. So he's on the hillside and he gives this talk on a hill. And he talks about uh, t- uh, important subjects for though long ago affects all of us. Last week we mentioned uh, murder and anger. This week adultery and lust and uh, money and worry and rewards and secrets and motives assault and light he goes through these very important subjects and six times he says by repetition he says you have heard it said Daniel read two of them two of the six this morning you have heard it said but I say to you he's asking us to reconsider I'm asking you to take a listen to open be open to what Jesus would have to say to you on this today it's a topic that if you knew about it you may not come may not have come today like my friend but I want everyone to be blessed today if you're watching from home I never know which camera to look at if you're watching from home we've we've got them everywhere we're watching you as well but uh, if you're watching from home hey this is one maybe you want to tune out of or be embarrassed about but look this is for everybody we're all sexual beings single or married young or old we've all been created with desire. Would you let Jesus speak to you on this important subject today? 
Back in 2017, this man became the most talked about man, at least for six weeks to a few months, became the most talked about man in America. He sat at the pinnacle of power in the entertainment industry. And if you've travel, ever traveled out of the country, you know that Hollywood ain't just big here. It's big everywhere. This man was powerful. This is Harvey Weinstein. And a woman came forward. Actresses that most of you would recognize ended up being uh, in this long list of women who were harassed and assaulted and demeaned by this man, his hidden life, the closed doors, the abused power. And there was a long list of victims, silenced, shamed, and demeaned. One woman took to Twitter and she asked everyone who had experienced this, in any arena of their personal life who've been harassed or assaulted sexually, she said, come forward with these two words, and you know it, hashtag me too. And almost overnight, 500,000 plus people had dropped that hashtag. And in essence, a movement began. And person after person, usually man after man, was drug out what they thought was dark and wasn't going to be spoken about, was drug out into the light. Another picture, the same year that Harvey Weinstein, and by the way, a pinnacle of power at the top of the entertainment industry, and in one short season, he went from American filmmaker to convicted sex offender. And the same year that Harvey Weinstein was being sentenced to life in prison, this man, Hugh Hefner, who has sold sex and glorified sex and exploited sex, he passed away. Former Chicago Tribune award-winning journalist and prolific Christian writer Lee Strobel interviewed him at the Playboy Mansion. And he shared the gospel with him and asked him about his belief in God. And Hugh Hefner made this confession, I have a minimal belief in a minimal God because I want minimal influence or interference rather, God interference in my life. So I want to ask you the question today, thinking of these two, you may find it odd, but stay with me. I'm strange, but not that strange. What type of spiritual formation do you think these two men received? You see, everybody receives spiritual formation. Everybody receives spiritual formation. Your inner life, your secret being, your thoughts and your intentions and your desires are being formed and shaped every day in a myriad of ways for better or for worse by accident or on purpose you are being shaped we all receive spiritual formation do you believe that today you are being discipled you may not begin your day in the word you may not be attuned to the spirit you may not letting the word dwell in you richly and have a regular practice of hearing the word and reading the word and memorizing the word and studying the word and meditating on it you may not you may say well I don't do that so I don't have spiritual formation. You may say I'm not a religious person. I'm not a regular churchgoer. I don't have any habit patterns in that regard. You are receiving spiritual formation because you are a spiritual being and you have thoughts and intentions and desires and it is being shaped for better for worse uh, on purpose or by accident. 
just as everybody's being educated. Would, would you buy that theory? Everybody is receiving an education. You may be a Harvard graduate or a high school dropout. You may be getting some discount knowledge at the, at the local community college. Everybody is getting an education. Do you believe that? And everybody is receiving spiritual formation. And when it comes to this subject that can bring so much joy and delight, but also so much shame and embarrassment and hiddenness, in this important subject, I want to set before you today that the greatest opportunity ever presented to all human beings is to receive spiritual formation from Jesus. This talk, I want to give you uh, two points. That's good news, isn't it? Maybe he's not going to keep me here for long. Here's the first point. I want you to see this talk on the hill, this sermon on the gentle slope uh, with, in, through these two lens. The first is habits of the heart. Last week, we talked about murder and anger. And we talked about the tree and the roots. So we showed a, a rendering of a tree and we see the branches. We see the leaves. We see the fruit. We see the trunk. But we don't think about what's below the seeds that began, the root system that ultimately is the cause for sustaining and nourishment. And Jesus is talking to Jewish people who understood the law, the commandments, the Torah. They knew it well. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not enough to say don't murder. And essentially, I, su- I said to you last week, hey, you may say, hey, I, I don't hire hitmen to take care of my problems. But what about anger? What about the simmering contempt that's below the surface? Jesus wants you to deal with that as well. Let's take a visit to map land. And here is a, here's the Middle East a long time ago, uh, many, many years before the time of Christ. And you see uh, Egypt. You see Canaan, that's up to the right. You'll see the Sinai Desert. You'll see the Red Sea. And Jesus is talking to this Jewish audience who knew the Big Ten. God had given them this Big Ten. And the people there were, they had been oppressed in Egypt for generations. And there was a promise that God had given their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A promise for the promised land, a promise for Canaan, a promise for, uh, repeat after me, 930 did really good. A, a land that was known as flowing with milk and honey. And they wanted to be there. They didn't want the desert. They didn't want the manna. They didn't want that. And under the leadership of Moses, God always calls up a leader. He didn't want this to be Lord of the flies. When he starts a movement, when he sparks something, he's going to appoint a man or woman to lead it and put people around him. And Moses was that person. And there was this really cool point in history where God says, let's have a DTR. Let's have a define the relationship. Do you young people understand DTR? Do y'all do that anymore? The, uh, DTR, you sit down and say, here's where we stand. Here's where I am. Hope you're somewhere in the vicinity. And uh, let's see where this thing can go or it's over. But a DTR, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will make a covenant with you. And I want you to reflect me and I want you to represent me. And so he gives them the big Ten. He gives them these commands, the Ten Commandments, that even in America over the last couple of decades we fought and argued over. There's a battle to keep the Ten Commandments in the public square. I have a, a, faith, a very a thoughtful faith leader who asked me earlier this week, you know, Robert, we fight, American Christians fight for the Ten Commandments 
uh, to be inscribed in public square. But what about the Beatitudes? Interesting. What about the Beatitudes? You know, the, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them, but he gave us the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peace in heart. Blessed are, are those who are persecuted, uh, that they will rejoice and they will pray for those who are persecuting them. He gave us the Beatitudes, but before that, God, through Moses, gives the Ten Commandments. Here are five that everybody probably is familiar with. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, no stealing, no perjury. Hey, don't covet. And these were given. God is saying, reflect me and represent me. Why does God say, don't murder? He says, don't murder because he's the God of life. Deuteronomy 30, I have put life before you and I have put death. Choose life. We should be a people, despite popular opinion, public sentiment, anything around us, anything culturally, we should be a people who encourage people to choose life. Always. God is a God, not of death, but of life. And so we are not to take the life of another. And here, what we're talking about today, this tender of subjects, adultery, stealing, don't take other people's property. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Laws, when you give laws which govern just societies and help people have guardrails in order to treat each other fairly, you got to be specific. Here is a, here's a specific command. You shall not covet, which is tied to lust. You should not covet what? Your neighbor's house. That ain't yours. You should not. This was written before HDTV. You're allowed to covet when you watch that network. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You can't have Jesse's girl, as Rick Springfield sang about in the 80s. You shall not covet nor his male or female servants. Very different culture back then. His ox or his donkey. Property mattered. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. And this was a precursor. This is God saying, hey, for us to love each other well, we need to treat each other well. There needs to be standards. There needs to be rules that we all can agree on. Now, what happens when a society, when we all can't agree? What happens to a society that's divided over vaccines and masks and protocols and safety standards and freedom of religion and expression? What happens there? But when we can have common agreement, how powerful a society, how just, good, and noble a society can be if we can find agreement. Let's agree on these things. And here, here it's a precursor to saying your desires matter. Now, I don't get that the first time I read that. I just like a bunch of rules and, you know, stay on your side of the fence. But God is saying your desires matter. What do you desire? So these habits of the heart. So just like last week, murder and there's anger, and we can, as religious people, as clean living, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens, I'm making a lot of assumptions about y'all today, uh, we can say, man, I ain't murder nobody, I don't have any plans to murder anybody, but what about that anger? What about that anger underneath? Because you see, root problems eventually will become a real problem, and so deal with that simmering contempt that you have, and this week, it's the heart. Now, Jesus is not saying it's the same thing. It's a, he's not playing a moral equivalency game here by saying it's absurd to suggest that, okay? He's not saying that, but he is saying, I care about your heart and what you desire really matters. Don't, don't be distorted. Don't be twisted. And it, it matters, the habits of your heart. Scripture talks a lot about heart. Aren't you glad? And sometimes we're not glad. Because we like behavior modification. We like the tree branches. We like what's above, what can be seen. We can manage our image. We can project that. We can play a game of endless image management. But God cares. 
He cares about the heart. Jeremiah 17 describes the heart as deceitful. Proverbs 14 talks about a heart of envy. Psalm 51 talks about the problems of an impure heart. Psalm 137 talks about the broken hearted. It tells us in Proverbs 14 that a cheerful heart is, anybody know it, is good medicine. Go see long before doctors became really good at what they do. The scripture tells us, you go ask any doctor about stress and it's rela- how it's related to your ailments and your pains. Listen, a, a, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Psalm 90 and verse 12 talks about having a wise heart. Psalm 19, 14 talks about the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart. And I want everybody to hear this. Psalm 37, 4 talks about the delight the, or the desires of our hearts. It's important to live out of our heart, but to understand that God wants to do a heart work. And I ask you today, how is your heart? It's the genius of Jesus to know that the core, the heart is the core of who you are. And when you want to manage the me that people see, it will result in frustration and futility and so little healing. We, Lauren led us to sing before the Lord the healing. The king is in the room. The savior is in the room. And he can do healing in our midst. But only if we do a deep and abiding heart work. Cardiologists have a procedure where they dip um, or they inject dye into the bloodstream. And it's to detect blockage in and around the heart. And a skilled cardiologist, don't you hate the unskilled cardiologist? But a skilled cardiologist can uh, insert what they call a stent into an artery in the patient's leg and can go up the body and can free blockage in and around the heart. Heart doctors, cardiologists tell us that there can be symptoms from heart problems, a heart problem that's not detected, but there can be symptoms that seem, stay with me, unrelated to heart problem, to blockage, to problems there. There can be irritability and indigestion and anxiety and um, vision change and memory loss and um, what was, I, what was I talking about? Oh, a lack of sleep. And there can be these symptoms and you think this is just happening here and it's related to something else. But without this, this proper procedure being done to get deep in and around the heart, they're not going to know. And you see, if you only, a cardiologist can tell you, if you only treat symptoms, the problem will worsen. It will go undetected. It, the, the real issue will be mask. And so it is with you. The young guys, I took a sabbatical this, uh, this month, of, this summer rather, in the month of July and didn't do any preaching, didn't do much work. I went to Memphis and rescued a little golden retriever and just hung out with him as he dealt with, with a heartworm treatment. And that was kind of July, but I love being off and I love the younger guys, Daniel, John, and Nick preaching. And they preached about the heart, the matters of the heart. And each of them took a proverb and preached on the heart. And all of us, you don't have to be a person of faith, a regular a church attendee to know what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, guard the heart for it's the wellspring of life. It's this junction where everything flows through it. Everything comes through the heart. And so you need to guard it. But you know, we don't. You know, we don't. We, we want commandments and laws and rules. And tell me the minimum uh, entrance requirements. Tell me that what I have to do, tell me the minimum that I have to do in order to pass, to get, to get past this. And I'm not going to worry about the deep work 
in my life. But guard your heart. Can I ask you, do you? Do you, when it comes to any of these subjects, to, to murder and anger? Murder, you're good, right? Anger, how about it? Adultery, I hope you're okay, but what about lust? What about your desires in your heart? Secrets and rewards, revenge and enemies, money and worry, salt and light. How are you doing in these really important areas that Jesus talks about on this talk in the hill? Would you let him do work in your heart? Last night, I, I married Brody and Ashley, a really cute couple on the top of the Faulkner. Y'all ever been there? The fair was in the distance below and downtown Jackson. There were some sirens and cop cars passing us that had some, uh, some noise there that I had to speak over in this romantic uh, moment. Um, I didn't want to show a picture of them, but this is a couple that I just stole. Don't they look good? Just off Pinterest. Um, anybody recognize them? Anybody know? Anybody, was anybody at their wedding? But these guys look great. They're young and if I was to speak to them today, I only had about 15 minutes last night at my part in the ceremony, but if I was to speak to this couple or anybody like it, if I was to get a few young couples like this couple in a room, I wouldn't want to talk down to them, but I would tell them what they don't know. I would try to speak to them like that, man, you look good and you got a lot going for you, but I want to talk to you about the long haul. I want to talk to you about the deep matters and the habits of your heart. These young couples, I would say to them, these kids, and by the way, kids, that changes. Kids now for me is 45 and below. But these kids, here's what I would say. I would tell them five things. Y'all listening? I would tell them five things. First thing I would talk to them about is disappointment. I would talk to them about disappointment because it's inevitable for everybody. You will be disappointed. If I ask all the married couples, to raise your hand, a show of hands if you're in a good spot, if you're in a solid spot in your marriage right now, I bet a good number of hands would go up. But I bet if I ask, as a follow-up question, how many of you who are in a good spot right now went through a miserable period? I bet the same hands would go up. Disappointment will come. It is universal and it is inevitable. And you, you need to get through it and we don't guard our hearts we don't manage the habits of our hearts if we don't have a proper understanding of disappointment the second thing that I would talk to them about is romantic love and I would tell them that what brought you together you cannot rely on that to keep you together that feelings will fade and romance will go into hiding and that you will need to work on this look you can fall in and out of love but don't ever fall out of devotion working on 25 years now and I can tell you man Things come and go, but to be devoted to each other, you don't ever want to lose that. The volitional act of the will, I've made a covenant with you, and I am with you no matter what. And when two people hold hands and walk together, it's very, very powerful. But I would then speak to them. The third thing that I would talk to them about is what's in all of us, and I'll be vulnerable for a moment. It's the emotional hunger that's within everybody. There are times, I will tell you, in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the public nature of my job and the way that God, you know, God has given me a, an extrovert, uh, extroverted personality. And so I'm, I'm with people. But I, like you, experience times where you feel empty and invisible and lonely. And you will walk through that. And when a couple does not guard their heart and does not have a proper understanding, they will think that that person should be the one filling their emotional need and hunger. And one person cannot do that. 
One person cannot do that and should not be expected to do that. In fact, nobody can do that. Only God. Jesus would teach us in John 6. He would say, and it's a clarion call. He would say, if anyone is hungry, I am the bread of life. Come to me. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. He makes this promise, which is one of abundance, not scarcity. One of plenty, not absence. He says that rivers of living water, John 7, 37, will flow out of him. He will do a work in your life and you will know it. And we are to come to him and you will experience this emotional hunger, which takes me to the fourth thing that I would want to tell these kids, these young couples. And that is that special someone, watch out. Watch out. That someone that you meet at work or working out, that ex or that person on Instagram or that person at church that floated into your life, watch out because they will feed that hunger in you. If you're not understanding and experiencing the gospel, you'll be vulnerable to that hunger being fed by another person. I feel um, unattractive, but suddenly you feel like you look good because of them. They're feeding that hunger in you. I feel bored and uninteresting, and all of a sudden they show up and you feel funny and alive. You felt invisible and now you feel seen and to some extent understood. And you want to watch out. And the fifth thing that I would talk to these young couples about, these kids who don't know yet, is self-deception. All of us, including the person preaching now, all of us as human beings have just an infinite capacity for self-deception. Man, I've heard it all. Oh, she's just encouraging me. Oh, he's just praying for me. Oh, he's just checking on me. Oh, we're, we're just friends. But be careful. Because it starts with an unguarded heart. It starts, listen to Ephesians 4.18. I love this. It kind of snuck up on me this week in study. But in Ephesians 4.18, it says that they were darkened in their understanding. They were separated from life with God. Because of the ignorance in them due to the hardening of their heart. One more time for the folks in the balcony. They, their, their understanding was darkened. Oh, they didn't see. Scripture talks about knowledge. It talks about understanding. It talks about wisdom. We have a lot of knowledge, but who has understanding? Their understanding was darkened. They were separated from life and God due to their ignorance because of the hardening of their hearts. May our hearts be soft. May our hearts be open. May we be open to him doing a deep work in us. Okay, habits of the heart. Closing on this, radical surgery. Let's get to the fun, not so fun part about what Daniel Wagner read, about what Jesus said. The radical surgery. The verses again are these. Jesus says this. And before we read them again, I ask you, is he serious? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. You know, we're offering, uh, challenging people for membership. Maybe we could do dismembership. Is Jesus being serious? 11 o'clock or 9.30 was afraid to answer. But let me ask you, if anybody is brazen enough, is Jesus being serious here? He's being sarcastic. But stay with me. He's being sarcastic because he's serious. 
I tried this at home sometimes in my marriage. It doesn't really work that well. I got something really serious and I'll, I'll come in with sarcasm trying to prove. But Jesus is being sarcastic, okay? We're not going to offer dismembership. We're inviting you to membership. But Jesus is saying, listen, it's jarring and it's violent. But Jesus wants us to know, and I want to talk to you, especially, especially to the men, because we tenderfoot this thing, and we want to be gentle. And here's what Jesus didn't say. If you notice a problem, and it's bothering you and others, if you notice this, he didn't say, wear an eye patch. He doesn't say, gently remove it. He says, gouge it and throw it away. And some of you, he says, throw it away. I think that part is necessary, because some of us will want to take it out and then put it in a jar and then so we can retrieve it later. He's saying, take it out and throw it in the garbage disposal because he's using sarcasm. You know, this is a sermon on the mount. This is like the sermon at the improv, of the moment of, of comedy here where he's, you know, stand, he's doing some stand-up comedy and he wants to get your attention because those listeners, like some of you maybe, are falling asleep if, you, if the preacher goes too long. So Jesus is saying, man, gouge it out, take it out and throw it away and be done with it because there are things in you and in me and I've seen it in my life. Man, I need, it needs to be removed. And I don't need to be gentle and I don't, know, I don't need to be ginger with it. I need to go for it and it needs to be amputated it needs to be severed dismembership and done this is a photo of a man i've come to respect a man named dave drevecki he's a man of faith this is him when he was young and about to win a cy young award uh, pitching for the san francisco giants doctors would give him a report one day at, at the height of his career that he had cancer and dave's one of those people that's inspired me dave drevecki because what could make him turn away from faith in God and become a bitter person has turned him toward God into faith into a life that is thriving and they amputated the arm you baseball folks know this story but he became he pitched with one arm and did well and this is a picture of him today uh, probably last year and if Dave Dravecki had the mic he would tell you this had to be cut out of me because it would eventually kill me so let's take the sarcasm, the hyperbole, the jarring, violent extremity of Jesus' words, and let's put it in front of us now. And let me say to you, because I want to be, I want to preach the whole counsel of God and not shy away from this. There are some things that need to be cut out of your life. And would you have the courage to do it? Because it's not going to ultimately bring you life. And quit fooling yourself. And by the way, this issue of sex, and all of us are one click away from explicit material. But this idea of sex, it's degrading. There are victims. There are plenty of victims. There are very few innocents in this. And so every person, usually a man who has power and wealth and influence, who has hidden life and closed doors and abuses that power there are victims who are silenced and shamed and mistreated and demeaned and there is there's a degrading in this of lust in our hearts and our desires when they go astray and there is a deadening of desire and intimacy and life now i'm gonna keep this pg-13 but i'm just saying i'm a pastor i do a little bit of counseling i'm not very good y'all call somebody else but I talk to people and I have friends who are counselors and I'm telling you, it's very real. And we've never lived in a society like this, but there is a deadening among people today, a deadening because of explicit images and the amount of time we spend in front of our screens. Deadening. 
It is not bringing life. And can I say to you what I've told countless men, what I know to be true, you can't fight this on your own. Don't even try. Dallas Willard, my favorite writer and thinker, the late Dallas Willard, his commentary on this was this. He said, the goal that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is not sin avoidance. Like you read the Ten Commandments, all right, I'm, not, I'm still not stealing my neighbor's donkey, not getting the ox, not taking the wife. I'm good to go. It's not sin avoidance. If the goal was sin avoidance, Dallas Willard said, then we could just do radical surgery on everything. And we would show up to heaven one day as, as a sinless, mutilated stump. But hear me. God wants you to live out of your desire. God has given us good gifts that in its place will bring life to people. Pleasure and life and goodness and delight. So here are two mistakes that uh, we make. Uh, let me, let me, yeah, let me, let me just do that and then we'll flip back up to the other one because I got out of order. The church tends to offer two responses to this very important area. The first is condemnation and the second we'll call accommodation condemnation is sex is bad so you you have a posture of protection you're trying to live in this world that's sex saturated good luck right and so we just offer condemnation without hear me an evangelical purity culture has done a great disservice but we offer this condemnation without any healthy alternatives and forms of spiritual formation and life and truth The second alternative that the church tends to offer is accommodation. And that's where we say, man, we are just rudderless ships on a storm-swept ocean, and we have no power to steer the boat. And I want to say to you, you have dignity. Men, you have dignity. The enemy could be robbing you of that right now, but you do have dignity. You are not an animal, and you can exercise control. And a gift that God gives you, Paul said to Timothy, is power and love and a sound mind and you don't have to be victim of the forces around you yes we're in a struggle and yes it is very very authentic but neither one offer us life neither one are the way forward for the church back up a second who's responsible for my lust because of the damage of evangelical purity culture i want to say this for every man and every every woman in the house i want you to hear this uh let's answer this if 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 the person or if what's responsible for my lust is women, then my reaction would be distance myself from them. And that's what they did in that culture. If what is, who is responsible for my lust is culture, then I'll have isolation from the culture. But what if Jesus is right? And what if it's you and it's me what if me is the answer then the solution is transformation of the will it's letting him form you by way of testimony can i tell you i'm in the same battle you're in i follow a covenant making god who tells me there's a way of death and there's a way of life And there's a lot of ambiguity and subtlety and nuance. There are cultural moorings that change. But in this, he wants me to be formed by him. So there's a choice. I want to share it with you this way. You can either 
follow the path of 10-4 or the path of 16-8. I stole these numbers from the Psalms. In the Psalm 10-4, it goes like this. The wicked man in his pride has no room for God in his thoughts. The wicked man in his pride has no room for God in his thoughts. Chapter 16 and verse 8. I have set the Lord continually before me. That's the choice before me in my spiritual formation. It affects me as a husband. It affects me as a pastor. It affects me as a Christ follower. It affects me as a parent. It affects me in all the roles that I play. And there are a lot of people counting on me to get this area right in my life. To take what is broken in me and to let God heal that. So in my spiritual formation, letting him deal with the habits of the heart and at times radical surgery, things need to be cut out of my life. Look, verse six, chapter 16, I want to be that person where I set the Lord continually before him. I allow him to form me and shape me and move away. And I put the red dot close to 10-4 because uh, I don't know if there's anybody in the house, anybody watching or listening today or later that would say, I'm wicked and I'm proud. I've got no room for God in my thoughts. But you might be okay over there, uh, which may be where Hugh Hefner was. I believe in a, I have minimal belief in a minimal God because I want minimal influence or interference in my life. And I want to ask you today to give God full room deep down inside of you. Our team's going to come now, musicians, to lead us in song. We're going to take up our offering and open this time up. We're going to do both as we close. Open up uh, in song. Open up uh, tithes and offerings. And this place to be a place of prayer. So I want you today just to bow if you would. Whatever that posture looks like. You can look around if you want. But whatever it looks like for you to, to hone in. And to think about what Jesus has said today. And maybe, maybe, maybe he has spoken to you today. And you know, you know if you're stiff-arming. You know if you're hard, hard as hard. You know if you've given him room. You know if there's just minimum belief and an unwillingness to trust him in this area see science let me drop it science bears out what scripture talked a long time ago you are not just a body with nerve endings and pleasure zones you're not an animal with baseless human instincts you have a soul You are both. And the life that's lived meaningfully is the life that integrates body and soul, heart and mind. A life that's being formed. Can I, I want to ask you today, are are you being shaped and formed every day in these myriad of ways on purpose or by accident? And I would say to you what I found in my life, man, I can't let accident lead me. I can't let drifting lead me. 
I can't give God my leftovers. I can't be haphazard about it. I want to leave room in my mind. I want to set the Lord continually before me. I was thinking today, talking a little bit to the earlier group, the 930. The accommodation of our world, just time and time again, it'll probably happen today. There'll be another Brian Laundry story where we're looking for a Gabby. This week I called two of my friends who lead women's shelters. The last two cities I've lived here and then out west. In light of a sex-saturated society, in light of desires run amok, in light of people being one click away, are things getting better or worse? And both said, what would you guess? Both said things are getting worse. And there are victims. And there is hurts. And this gift that God has given to unite a man and woman in marriage, this beautiful gift, has been distorted and people are being demeaned. And too many of us, especially men, are being deadened to the gift of love and intimacy as God intends. And can I say to you, don't let that beat you up. It is not over. You can leave room in your mind. You can set the Lord continually before you, and He can heal you, and He can transform you. So I want to ask you to stand, and we're going to, we're not long and we'll be out of here, but if you would stand, and we're going to, I'm going to pray over us for our tithes and offerings as they're given, if ushers would come forward. And then we were brazen enough to do this in the first service and had an opportunity to pray for people. This place earlier became a place of prayer. The invitation is open. Uh, there's time on the clock. Y'all stay tight. And here's what I'll ask you to do. We're going to have a couple of us uh, down front to pray over you. And we would love, look, I prayed for, we prayed for a few people. In the, it, it wasn't a bunch of adulterers running down front, so don't worry about that. If God has stirred something up, hey, you address that today. But whatever, a decision you're, you need to make, something that God is doing in your heart, something you're rejoicing over, want to praise Him for, a, a deep need, a prayer for others, would you allow this to be a place of invitation, of prayer? And let's give God a few minutes to do work uh, with Him. It would be my honor, our honor, to pray over you. Uh, today. Let's give God this these few moments.